Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. In this series, The Church, an Ancient Future, we are casting vision for a future church that will be relevant in a changing culture by learning ancient truths from the early days of Christianity. For more information about Abundant Life, or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. So good to see you once again. Welcome Independence Blue Springs, all of you with our online campus. Lee Summit, so great to get to see you this morning. I don't know if you realize this, if you live in the Kansas City area, you live in a very historic place. A lot of history right here. Pre-Civil War history, did you know? that before the outbreak of the U.S. Civil War, there had been a border war going on for years and years between Kansas, which was a free state, and Missouri, which was a slave state. It was ugly, it was brutal, it was bloody. And often what would happen is uh, men from Missouri, known as bushwhackers, would ride across the state line where they would burn and pillage and plunder the homesteads of those living in the free state of Kansas. And then in retaliation, men from Kansas, led by men like Jim Lane, known as Jayhawkers, I'm just saying, they'd ride back across the state line into Missouri where they would retaliate with like violence. And this went on for years before the outbreak of the Civil War. There was really a border war between these two states because they had a radically different view of the world, a radically different view of the future, different core values, different views. And two worldviews were at war one with another. It was brutal, it was bloody, it was hostile. And church, I would suggest that we live at a time of another border war where even now God is warring for the borders of the human heart. Even now, Satan, our adversary, is pulling the strings behind the scenes who wants the border of the human soul. And even now, the soul of our nation is at war. We're a nation at war with ourselves. Two kingdoms are colliding. And I want you to see that is why we live in an age in our civilization of chaos and confusion and deprivation and destruction because it's a border war, a war of worldviews. Kings and kingdoms are in opposition. And I want you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Romans as we begin a brand new series today entitled The Church. And what we're going to do over the next seven weeks is go back and study the ancient church because I'm convinced as we go back and retrace the steps to the past, do we learn the steps to the future? Because we're living today in the 21st century much like the society of early Christianity. And that's why the modern church needs to live and learn from the ancient church because we're no longer living in what we call a Judeo-Christian civilization. Listen very carefully. The modern church must learn from the ancient church because America is no longer a Judeo-Christian civilization. Now understand what that means. Historically, because our nation was settled by Christians, the worldview and the values of our civilization was what we would call biblical or Christian in its worldview. But all of that has now changed, and that is why we live in this time of cultural upheaval. We live in a time of transition between worldviews and what we once were as a nation and as a civilization, that is now changing. And what do we do as the church? A church that's no longer mainstream. There was a time in American society that you and I, as those living biblically in Christianity, was kind of the mainstream of society. It was a Judeo-Christian culture, but we've lost the home field advantage. That has changed, which means you and I today, as Christians trying to follow Jesus, will no longer be mainstream. We're forever gonna be swimming up against the stream, but it's imperative that we don't get carried downstream. And that's what's happened to a lot of Christians recently and a lot of churches recently. They've been carried downstream because we're not uh, standing against the current and the stream and we're no longer mainstream. So what do we do? Well, we go back, I'm convinced, and we learn from those that came before us. Because did you know the early church was not born into a Judeo-Christian civilization? 
The early church was born into a Greco-Roman civilization. We're living a Greco-Roman civilization of pluralistic theology and moral anarchy. And that was the society of early Christianity. Now, scientists today that study culture and that studies, uh, you know, societies sometimes put it this way. Well, we're no longer a Judeo-Christian society with its worldviews. Uh, Judeo-Christian societies believe, for example, there are absolutes and there's absolute truth. Uh, but Greco-Roman societies don't believe there's absolute truth. There are no absolutes. Truth has to be discovered or defined, and, and truth is kind of your truth, and I can have my truth, and you hear that a lot today. Well, I'm living my truth. That's a Greco-Roman worldview. Postmodernism is the philosophy social scientists have called it. It's a, it's a philosophy that says there is no truth. There's no absolutes. And that is a Greco-Roman worldview, and that leads to pluralistic theology. What does that mean? It means the Romans worshiped many, many gods. The gods of the Roman pantheon were many, many, many. That's pluralistic theology. You see, this is where we are now as a society. The problem is not, you hear this sometime from preachers, the problem is not that we're becoming a godless nation. The problem is we're becoming a nation of many gods. Any god will do, just pick a god. All gods are the same. That was a Greco-Roman worldview. Now, the problem for the early Christians was not that they worshiped Jesus. Normally, when the Romans would conquer a people, they would allow them to keep worshiping their gods, whatever gods they were worshiping, as long as they would add a Roman god to their pantheon and worship Caesar as a god. They didn't care what god you worship. You just had to worship Caesar too. And that is how they brought their empire together. You see, what makes a civilization is a shared worldview and a shared value. See, what is happening in our civilization, in the breakdown of civilization, polarization, tribalism, division, what's happening? What brings people together and keeps them together is a shared truth, shared moral values. But now, in a Greco-Roman world, it's my truth and your truth. We can have a different truth. You worship your God, I'll worship my God. And so what the Romans did is they let people keep worshiping whatever God they wanted to, but once a year, if you were living within the Roman Empire, you had to go into the nearest temple to Caesar and take a pinch of incense and sprinkle it onto the altar of Caesar and say these words, Hail Caesar, Caesar is Lord, and then bow your knee to Caesar. The problem for the early Christians is they knew there's only one king, capital K, one L, capital Lord, he's king of kings, he's Lord of lords, his name is Jesus. And that's why they were hated by Roman society, not because they worshiped Jesus, but because they would worship none other. And that is why even today, as a Christian, to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that is highly offensive in a Greco-Roman society. How dare you say Jesus is the only way? All gods are the same. You see, I want you to see why we're doing this series, because as we go back 2,000 years and retrace the steps of the early church and learn from the ancient church, only now can we learn how to be the modern church of the 21st century living in a changing society. Not only were the Romans pluralistic theologically, but they lived with a sexual ethic and a moral ethic we might just call moral anarchy, where anything goes, and anything goes mentality. Did you know it was Christianity that introduced something to the world the world had never seen. It was called monogamy and marriage. And, and there was this worldview that says, no, wait a minute, sex is for marriage. Sex is sacred, right? And so Christianity introduced that for the first time in a world otherwise of moral anarchy and anything goes mentality. And the early Christians were seen like this freak of society, a complete anomaly. Can you see why now we're swimming against the mainstream and, and it's so easy to get carried downstream because we are living where Christianity was born 2,000 years ago. Now, this is what I want you to see. I hear people say today, well, all is lost, the church is in decline, and Christianity is retreating, and the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Now, wait a minute. Think about this for a moment. 2,000 years ago, 120 people in Acts chapter 2 got filled with the Spirit of God as followers of the Son of God, and against all odds, against all statistical probability, in the face of intense persecution and adversity, they changed the world. I think what God did then, he's able to do again today. But we have to come to terms with the fact our society has changed. 
which means the old methods and old models and the paradigms of thinking as it relates to church also needs to change. I'm convinced the church of the future is going to look more and more like the church of the past. Now, what happens in Romans chapter 1? Paul is getting ready to go to Rome. He's getting ready to literally go to the very belly of the beast. He is in Corinth as he writes this letter to the church that is in Rome. And what you have in Romans chapter 1 is an autopsy of a society. It's an autopsy of a civilization. And he gives us four steps in Romans chapter 1 that every civilization goes through on the way to death and destruction. There are four steps that you might go through individually, personally, and we might go through as a society, and I would suggest we already are on the outset of the 21st century to understand where we need to go, we need to understand how we got here. Romans chapter one, are you ready for this? Say, let's go. go. All right, here we go. Romans chapter one, it begins with this step, truth suppression. Suppression of the truth, the distortion of the truth. The Apostle Paul begins penning this letter to the Romans, giving a four-step progression to the destruction of a civilization, and it begins with truth suppression. Look at what it says in Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. It says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, I got to warn you, church, Romans chapter 1 is not a happy chapter. And this ain't going to be one of Pastor Phil's happiest messages. You know why? Because Romans chapter 1 is about the wrath of God on sin and rebellion of men. Now, it's distinctly unpopular today. I've actually had preachers and theologians look at me and say, well, I think we ought to take Romans 1 out of the Bible. Literally, we need to take it out of the Bible. It was never meant to be in the Bible. In fact, they believe the Apostle Paul was writing from the cultural bias and the backdrop of his day. But you understand, when you start this cut and paste theology, which is nothing more than postmodern philosophy that's entered into the church and watered down Christian theology, do you understand where this ends? Complete destruction of our faith as Christians. Because if you're gonna peel out Romans chapter one, then you're also gonna have to peel out Romans chapter five one, which says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're gonna peel out Romans chapter one, then you're also gonna have to peel out Romans five and verse eight. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the reality is we all want to talk about the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God, but you cannot begin to understand the love of God or the grace of God if you don't also understand the holiness of God. He is sinless. He is righteous. And because he's holy and righteous, he's also a God of judgment and justice. He can't look the other way on sin. No matter how much he loves us, wages, the wage of sin is death. Romans 6, 23, if he did not bring justice on sin, then he'd no longer be just. And I'm telling you this because Romans chapter 1 is hated by many people today, even that claim faith in Jesus Christ, because it's the whole counsel of God. And I would suggest, church, we still need the whole counsel of God and not just part of the counsel of God, because Jesus said, the truth shall set you free, but we as society are going back into captivity because we believe the lies of the enemy. So if we want to be free, we need to see the truth as not our enemy, but our ally in liberty. And I want you to see what Paul says. It all begins with this, the suppression of truth. The wrath of God, the judgment of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, if you are a Christian, you have a worldview that's truth. There's absolute truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, John 14, 6. On the night before he went to the cross, he prayed to the Father on our behalf. John 17, 17. He prayed to the Father, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. You see, all truth is God's truth. The moment you say, well, I got my truth and I'm living out my truth and you can live out your truth, you need to understand you can have your own opinion, but you can't have your own truth. I can have my own opinion, but I can't have my own truth. All truth is God's truth. 
Now, to a Greco-Roman, that, 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 that is, that's crazy thinking. There's no truth. This was the mentality of those living in Roman society. Uh, this is a very famous painting by a very famous 19th century painter by the name of Nikolai G. He was a Ukrainian painter, and he would paint biblical scenes. 1890, he painted this scene. It was meant to capture a private moment between Jesus and Pilate during Jesus' trial. And John 18 captures this conversation, captures this moment between Pilate and Jesus, as Pilate is clearly perplexed by this man Jesus. He asks Jesus, man, who are you? Where did you come from? And Jesus, in John chapter 18, looks at him and says, I am here to bear witness of the truth. To which Pilate responds in John 18, verse 38, what is truth? See, Pilate, though he was very educated, had been taught there is no truth. It's Greek philosophy. Hey, guys, there's nothing new under the sun. We think we've been enlightened as a society. Our society is just going back to what was 500 years B.C. with Plato and Aristotle who taught there is no truth. It's Greek philosophy, and that had shaped the culture of the first century. We've simply gone back to what was. We're not evolving. We're devolving. Here you have Pilate, a very educated man, who really could not fathom that there's a such a thing as truth. What is truth? And I want you to notice something. It's not that we don't have the truth, it's that some of us are suppressing the truth. And that's always the nature of a Greco-Roman society that says there is no truth. Not really, I can define my own truth. You got yours, I got mine. I want you to see this is now the world we're living, which is why we live in a world that feels like it is confusing and full of contradiction and I'm swimming upstream against the current of the stream and I feel like I'm gonna carry downstream. No, we need to stand as Christians against the current of the stream, not get carried downstream. And that is why truth must be at the center of our foundation and truth must be at the center of our worldview. The number one lie of our society is there are no absolutes. There's no absolute truth. I'm living my truth, you live yours. I want you to see for a moment as to how crazy, hypocritical, and illogical this is. For people who say, and this is postmodern thinking, for people who say there are no absolutes, guess what they just did? They stated an absolute. See, it's a self-defeating statement. Oh, there are no absolute truths. You just stated an absolute truth. You see, that's the nature of postmodern thinking. It's illogical besides being hypocritical. Nobody can actually live this way. For somebody who says there are no absolutes morally, there are no absolutes spiritually, yeah, they may say that until they go outside and find out somebody has stolen their car. And then guess what they're going to do? No, now, now they're going to come back to some absolutes, like, I need to call the police. Somebody stole my car. Why? Well, it's wrong. Wait a minute. I thought there was no absolutes. Somebody's living their truth. They thought they needed your car worse than you. <laughs> See, nobody can actually live this way. We just say we do. See, postmodernism, what some now are calling, we live in not just a postmodern society, uh, they're calling it now a post-Christian society. It is a post-truth society. It's a post-science society where even facts don't matter. I got an email this week from a mom in our church who has a seventh grade son that went to one of the local middle schools in our area who was made to sit in a circle this week with his peers where they all shared with their peers their preferred personal pronouns. Do you understand, whatever you may hear out there, your gender was not randomly assigned to you at birth. It's unscientific. Now your gender is not built on your hormones, it's built on your chromosomes. And you can trade out your hormones, you cannot trade out your chromosomes. That's science. This isn't theology. This isn't some pastor rhetorical. This is just science. These are facts. Well, we live in a time where facts don't matter. See, that's a Greco-Roman world. I'm living my truth. 
I want you to think about how crazy silly this is. So Krista and I got back last week from a trip. We celebrated 30 years of marriage, 30-year anniversary. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. We agreed on our trip. We, we just came to this conclusion, Krista and I, look, if you've been married 30 years, you just have to come to terms with the fact it only means you're getting old. We just are. You've been married 30 years, you're just getting old. So I decided after I got back, I don't want to participate in aging. I don't like being middle age. I am now 29. That's my truth. It's my truth. Don't you dare challenge my truth because it's my truth. That's the world we now live in. I'm 29. I don't care what you look, what I look like. I don't care what my birth certificate says. I am 29. It is my truth. Don't you dare challenge my thinking. How dare you? See, that's postmodern thinking. And when you start to think about it, it is silly. It's lunacy. It's illogical. It's hypocritical. Nobody can actually do this. Yet we live at a time where I can stand before you and what you see is a six foot six, blue eyed, Caucasian American male. And I can stand out with a straight face and tell you, no, I am not a six foot six, blue eyed, Caucasian American male. I'm actually a five foot two, brown eyed Mongolian woman. <laughs> Don't you laugh? Don't tell, that, that's not a joke. I'm being serious. Don't you challenge my truth. And everybody goes along with the big lie, even though everybody deep down is going, man, that just doesn't make sense. This just can't really, you know why? Because everybody's afraid of being canceled. Don't cancel me, whatever it takes, so I'm gonna say whatever I have to, go along, get along, even though everybody's participating in this big lie of society. It's postmodern thinking because nobody wants to be canceled. Church, I love you so deeply, I really, really do. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you online, some of which I've never met. I love you enough to tell you the truth, and if you don't like it, cancel me. Cancel me. Because like Jesus, I've come to bear witness of the truth, and as Christians, we are here to bear witness of the truth, and not get carried downstream by the lies of society. No, it's not mainstream, it's not popular, it will never ever again be. But we're called to stand against the stream, not to be carried downstream, even though we're not mainstream. And this is what is happening in 21st century, and this is what was happening in the early days of Christianity. The Christians were hated because they had such a radically different worldview, such a radically different sexual ethic, such a radically different way of viewing all of life, all of the universe, there is one God, his name is Jesus, monotheism. In a world of polytheism, many gods, it is so radically unpopular. Yet these are the early days of Christianity, truth suppression. I want you to notice, it's not that truth can't be known, in fact, God has given us all the truth. Look what happens in verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No one will ever stand before God one day and say, but I didn't know, I couldn't know. God, if you would have just revealed yourself to me, I would have believed, I would have followed, and God is gonna look at them and say, you are without excuse. You know why? Because God is telling in this passage, God has put and deposited a certain amount of truth inwardly in every human being. Not only do we have it inwardly, we have it outwardly in everything that God made and created in everything that is seen. And what God is teaching here is that age-old question, well, what do you do with somebody living in the middle of the Congo and in some isolated area of Africa that never hears the name of Jesus, they never hear the gospel, what will God do to them? Send them to hell? No, listen, here's the promise of Romans 1, 19 through 20. They have a little bit of revelation in them. God has shown it to them. They have it inwardly. The problem is they're suppressing that truth. There's the problem. If they would quit suppressing the truth, and start searching for the truth, then the promise is God would give them enough truth to come to the way and the truth and be saved. See, if they would turn from the totem pole and say, I don't know what the truth is, but that ain't the truth. 
instead of suppressing the truth they have inwardly, the promise is God would give them enough truth to one day be saved. See, the problem is they're suppressing the truth they've been given. We've all been given a little bit of truth. This is why the truth makes people so angry, even people who oppose the truth, and say, uh-uh, that's not true. I've met atheists before, guys, that hate God. How do you hate someone that doesn't exist? Could it be that deep down there's a little God deposit in them? They're suppressing the truth. Not only is it in us, but it's all around us. What the Apostle Paul said, Romans 1.20, God has revealed himself in the creation. You can see the creator. You need to see evidence of the creator. Just look at creation, even his invisible power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, all of creation, all the cosmos, in some way is a reflection of the architect and the intellect. Think about this for a moment. We have a God, a creator God, that's a triune God, one God, eternal existing in three persons, body, I'm sorry, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So all that God has created, all that God has made outwardly gives us something that God wants to teach us that is yet invisible. Something we can't see can be known by what we can see. Everything did you know God has made because he's a triune being, all that he created, all the cosmos, did you know God made in threes? Everything in creation is a reflection of the architect. And that's why everything you see comes in threes. We live in time. It is past, present, and future. We live in space that is height, width, and depth. Did you know that every color you see can be traced back to three primary colors? Every color comes back to three colors. Red, white, and blue. Amen? Okay. I, I, I had seventh grade art. I know those aren't the three primary colors. Right now I can't remember what they are, so we're just going to move on, okay? Pretty good. <laughs> three colors. Think, think about this. Everything that we see, matter, think about matter, comes in one of three forms. Gas, solid, liquid. Yes? I mean, look at this. Romans 1.20, the creation is a reflection of the creator. Paul is saying, I've deposited that God truth in you, and now I've deposited that God truth all around you so that you will one day stand before me if you don't trust me and follow me without excuse. Everything comes in threes. Think about the largest things you can see to the parts of the universe that you can't see. The smallest particles, even the atom, is made of what? Protons, neutrons, electrons. You listened in seventh grade science. I'm proud of you. You remember. This is, this is what he's saying here. Don't tell me you can't believe. I once had an atheist that I was talking to tell me, Pastor Phil, you just want me to blindly believe there's a God? She points to a barn. She says, that would be like me just blindly believing there's a unicorn behind that barn because you say there's a unicorn behind that barn. I said, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is there's a shadow that looks like a unicorn coming from behind that barn. It's rational and logically to conclude that if there's a shadow coming from behind the barn that looks like a unicorn, then just maybe, in fact, probably, there's a unicorn behind the barn. You see, creation is the shadow of the creator. It's logical, it's rational to come to the conclusion that there is a God who made me and created me, and my job is to line my life up behind him and not make him line up himself behind me. He's the creator, not me. That's what Paul is now saying. You have the truth, but you don't like the truth. In fact, you hate the truth, so you suppress the truth. And I want you to see that has happened over and over again in humanity, in human history, from one civilization to one generation. You have the truth, but you're now suppressing the truth. Do you understand this is why they crucified the way and the truth? John chapter one, Jesus came into his own, but his own received him not. He was the light of the world, but the darkness comprehended it not. The Darkness hates the light. I'm talking about the truth. And so they crucified the Christ. Do you understand what this means for you and me as Christ followers? They canceled the Christ. And there's times that we're going to be canceled too. Church, listen very carefully. I would rather be canceled by men than canceled by heaven. 
We have to choose. There was a time we could straddle a line. We could pretty much blend in. The chameleon Christian just kind of blend into my surroundings. Those days are over. This demands that we begin living like the early Christians who made difficult decisions, choosing at times death, knowing ahead of time they had eternal life. And I would suggest that until you have a faith worth dying for, you don't have a faith worth living for. You see, this is why they changed the world. This is why their faith changed the world. 120 people went out and changed the world because they were not afraid of the cost. They were not afraid of the price. They were literally willing to give their life. But for far too long in the church in America, we've tried to straddle the line. We want a faith that costs nothing and demands nothing. And a faith that costs nothing will accomplish nothing and demands nothing will do nothing. Now you can see what we need to learn from those that have come before us in ancient future because it's going to be costly and it was always meant to be. Creation, a picture of the architect. Did you know scientifically it is impossible to get something from nothing? This isn't Bible. This is science. It is impossible to get something from nothing, no matter how many billions of years you add to it. A billion times 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 zero class is still zero. Well done. See, even scientists know the cosmos are not eternal. The universe had to have a beginning, and if indeed it had to have a beginning, scientifically, you don't get something from nothing, which means there must have been a beginner which means he gets to define the truth. We get to discover the truth. And you discover the truth when you quit suppressing the truth. See, it begins with true suppression, and then you have God's demotion. These are the steps to a civilization, civilization's destruction. The second step is God's demotion. Look at what he says in verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. This word fool in the English language, it is translated from the word morano in the Greek language, from which we get the word moron. Yeah, the Bible doesn't pull any punches. We have become a nation of morons, a nation of fools, being led by fools, professing them to be wise. Oh, they're so wise in their own eyes. Psalm 14 and verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But can I tell you the bigger fool, it is that one who knows there's a God, they just live like there's not. There's the bigger fool. And there's the average American. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. The arrogance of modern men and women is that while we have been created in God's image, we've created God now in our image. Instead of us becoming like him, we've made him like us. And that's always the nature of hearts of rebellion, the arrogance of sinful men and women in rebellion against God is that while mankind was created in God's image, we now have created God in our image. Instead of us as the creature lining up our lives behind the creator, we have demoted God to make the creator like his creation. He's now become like me. No longer do I have a God of the Ten Commandments. I have a God of two commandments. All God wants me to do is be nice and be happy. There it is. Be nice and be happy. No longer is he a God that is holy. No longer is he a God that is righteous. No longer is he a God that is sinless. No longer is he a God of wrath and justice upon rebellion, upon sin. No, he just wants me to be nice and be happy. I mean, after all, he's just my granddaddy in the sky, and he's rocking in his rocking chair, and he's looking down on us going, oh, aren't they cute? 
Thus now the American God. That's the God that exists in most Christian churches today. It's not a God of the Bible, not a God of Christianity. We've demoted him. We've created him in our image. And after God gets a demotion, man always gets a promotion. See, where God is dethroned, man has now been enthroned. When God gets a demotion because of truth suppression, now we give ourselves a promotion and we now sit on God's throne. This is how the Apostle Paul would put it in verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Do you see what's happened here? It went from truth suppression to God's demotion to now man's promotion. We're now worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator. In other words, it's self-deification. It is self-idolatry. The creature has now become God. And we're now worshiping ourselves as God. And all of a sudden, our values have completely changed because they now worship and serve the creature more than the creator. I was just on a beach vacation in Maui in August. It was awesome, and everywhere we went, on every beach, there were signs everywhere, signs warning you, do not touch a sea turtle's nest. Do not touch a sea turtle's egg. Did you know, they warn you ahead of time, if you touch and if you should destroy a sea turtle's egg, it is a felony crime, it is a federal crime, you will go to jail for a very, very long time and they will take thousands and tens of thousands of dollars from you as a fine. Did you know that an unborn sea turtle now has more value than an unborn human life? What have we done? I'll tell you what we've done. Truth suppression, God's demotion, now man's promotion. Where we now worship creation instead of the creator. Somebody says, Pastor Phil, I can hear what you're thinking right now. Pastor Phil, I don't like this fire and brimstone preaching. Well, you're gonna get it anyway. Because I love you enough to tell you the truth. It's the truth that sets us free. We're going into captivity. We're not becoming more free. We're becoming less free. As a society, it is moral anarchy, and anarchy always leads to slavery and captivity. We're not being enlightened. We are being darkened. Do you understand the statistics prove what I'm saying? Again, not preacher rhetoric. This isn't preacher propaganda. The social sciences prove what I'm saying. Bill Bennett, who was twice part of presidential administrations, the secretary of education, and the drug czar serving in two different presidential administrations, actually mustered the statistics of what has happened in the last 40 years since America has abandoned biblical morality and biblical authority as the way we view the world, we've embraced instead a Greco-Roman thought called postmodernism that says there is no truth. And did you know, in the last 40 years, there's been a 560% increase in violent crime, a 400% increase in juvenile arrest, a 200% increase in teenage suicide, 25% of America's teens currently carry an STD, over 60% of American kids are not born to a family with a married mama and a married dad daddy, and over 40% of American kids are raised not with their biological father. It has led to broken hearts and broken homes. This is the statistical reality. It's the truth that sets us free. And the truth is we live in a civilization of truth suppression, God's demotion, Man's promotion. See, we live at a time now where God's demotion leads to man's deification. Like this is the ultimate selfie society. You know what a selfie society is? Selfie society is about self-idolatry, self-worship. 
where now I'm living for self-gratification instead of God's glorification because I gave God a demotion and now I'm living as though I'm God. I'm on the throne. God has been dethroned. And we, the church, generation after generation, has watched it happen. I've said many times, I'll say it again, as the church goes, so goes the nation. 120 people changed the world radically, altering forever Roman society. By the end of the first century, they had taken the gospel to every crevice and corner of the known world. And within 150 years, the moral values and the worldview of the Romans was changing. The church in America is bigger than it's ever been. It's better budgeted than it's ever been. We have bigger buildings than we've ever had. More technology before us to take the gospel anywhere from our own living room. Do you see why we need to learn from the ancients? As we navigate a new world we've never been through. True suppression, God's demotion, man's promotion leads to moral destruction. Paul is describing Rome. He's describing this Greco-Roman world where the church was born into, but I'm convinced if he were alive today, standing on this platform, he would take this very same text at the end of Romans chapter one to describe American civilization on the outset of the 21st century. Moral destruction, the death of a civilization. Here's what he says in that description, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. I want to stop here and point something out. Three times in this text, you see this phrase, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them over. Three times you see that phrase, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them over. There is a point of no return. For your life personally, for a civilization, there is a point where you have resisted the wooing of the Holy Spirit. God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter and 3 and verse 9. And God has suffered long with these United States of America. People ask sometimes, Pastor Phil, do you think God is judging our nation? I wouldn't presume to know, but my question would be, why wouldn't he? If he is indeed a holy, sinless, righteous God, not just a God of mercy and grace, but yes, a God of judgment and justice, because he's holy, he must assess sin's penalty, then why wouldn't he be? I mean, honestly, who are we? All we've done is abort his children. All we've done is create sitcoms that are full of sin. All we've done over and over again is glorify perversion and call it freedom of expression. We use the Bible to swear in our presidents and put in God we trust on our money, yet simultaneously trample his truth and mock his name and spit in the face of God over and over again. I don't know if he's judging our nation. I, I just ask, why, why, why wouldn't he? He's long-suffering toward us. Second Peter 3, 9, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But listen carefully, when you resist the grace of God over and over again, eventually all that's left is the judgment of God. There is a line you cross. Nobody knows where it is. It's an invisible line known only to God. What it says is there's a point where God gives you up. There's a point where God looks at you and says, I give you over to the destruction of your own sin. I want to bring redemption. But if you will not choose redemption, all that's left is ruin. The wages of sin is death. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And he that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the spirit will reap life everlasting. Do you understand the implication when you sow the seeds of sin over and over and over again, generation after generation after generation, you are sowing the seeds of sin and you will reap a whirlwind of destruction. I would suggest that's where we are in this nation. 
And it may be that you today, under the sound of my voice, maybe somebody at home with our online campus, listen, you know that you have wrestled with God over and over again. You have run from God over and over again. You have resisted the wooing of the Holy Spirit saying, come to me, I wanna forgive you. My grace is sufficient for you, but over and over again, you've returned over and over again to your sin. Do you understand there's a point where you cross a line of no return? Sometimes we sing songs, even in church, maybe even our church, that just aren't theologically completely true. Like, you're never beyond God's reach. It's never too late to turn to God. Do you understand the implication of Romans 1? There is a point where it is too late, and there is no going back. You could have believed if you would have believed, but you didn't believe because you didn't want to believe, and now you've reached a point where you can't believe. I don't know for sure, but I would suggest if America has not crossed that line, we are dangerously close. And the only hope we have is not in the White House, it is in the church house, it is in God's house. We need revival, we need awakening, apart from rich, we're gonna have a, ref a funeral unless we have revival. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Church, listen carefully. Self-idolatry always leads to moral anarchy. That is where we are now as a society. You live your truth, I'll live my truth. When all truth is God's truth. And Jesus was emphatic, it's the truth that sets us free. Do you want to live in captivity? Then walk in the truth of God Almighty. He loves you passionately, infinitely, and unconditionally. God has done his part, now he's waiting on you. You see what we're learning? Self-idolatry leads to moral anarchy, and moral anarchy leads to death and captivity. And I want you to see why we do what we do as a church, why we're going where we're going, taking the gospel to new places, to reach new people. This was early Christianity. American Christianity, one building, one location, stained glass and steeple, crowd of this auditorium, build a bigger auditorium. That has never been the paradigm of the early church. That has never been how Christianity took the ancient world by storm. It was a multiplying movement. And Paul's about to go to Rome. He is going to take the gospel to the rebellion of the beast. And he knows that he's not going to leave Rome alive. Here is Paul who willingly went to Rome knowing he was not getting out of there alive. He was going to get canceled. And he did. Beheaded by Nero for no other reason. that he was willing to take the love of God and the hope of the nations to a place that was hostile to the gospel. 
Here's how he opens his letter in verse 15. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. You see, the light doesn't run from the darkness. The light doesn't hide from the darkness. The light is to run to the darkness and penetrate the darkness. And we live in this changing world where everything seems to be changing so rapidly and so quickly and everything is transitioning and it, it's crazy and it's, it's confusing. But what the Apostle Paul knew is something we have to remember too, that in a world where everything is changing, there are some things that stay the same and there's only one thing that has the power to change a human heart and redeem a human soul. It still has the power to change a community, a city, a country, and a world that is changing is still the power of the old time gospel that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, but three days later he rose again and he's alive forevermore. That is the power of the gospel to save lives 2,000 years later. For all this changing, there's some things and at least one thing that will never change. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the hope of the nations beginning with your life. And that is why we have these impossible initiatives. We're in the middle of this impossible campaign to do impossible things because with God, all things are possible. And we're doing two things next year as a part of an impossible campaign. We're launching a campus of abundant life in the crossroads, the very heart of Kansas City, Missouri, and an online campus to reach people in places we may never go physically. I'm gonna ask two men to come to this platform right now because I wanna introduce them to you. Our Crossroads Campus pastor and our online campus pastor. Why was Paul going to Rome? Because it was the very center of cultural influence. Paul was going to Rome because it was the very center of cultural influence all over the Roman Empire. Why go to the heart of our city, the crossroads, for the very same reason? Why have an online campus, church? Because the world is changing. And we need a brand new paradigm of thinking as it relates to the church. So it's my joy right now to introduce to you our crossroads campus pastor, somebody that is known and loved by us all. His name is Chad Glover. Uh, well, thank you very much. I want to just introduce my wife, Chelsea, and our girls, Lydia, Elizabeth, and Anna Joy. And we are fired up about taking uh, abundant life into the heart of Kansas City. And so if you don't know where the crossroads is, it's in the downtown area of Kansas City. And we're, we are so excited just to perpetuate the movement of God that is abundant life and to go into the heart of Kansas City and be a church that is, that, that's really known for love, that stands for the truth and is a voice of hope in a time where we, where we desperately need the gospel to grab the hearts of men and women. And so we're gonna go into the, the urban core and we're gonna see what God is gonna do and it's gonna be amazing. And so please, please be praying for us as we prepare to be a part of that. Super exciting. Awesome. This is the book of Acts, Christianity. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. We're just running an ancient play that the modern church forgot to run. We're going back to the ancient path, the ancient past, the ancient ways. Paul would go to new places to reach new people. The early Christian missionaries, this is what he did. And I want you to know, this doesn't really impact you as far as Chad being our campus pastor in the crossroads. He's still gonna be our teaching pastor. You're gonna hear from him monthly, at least on a Sunday morning. He's still gonna be our paradigm young adult preacher, communicator of the word of God and midweek services for young adults. But he's gonna lead and launch our campus in the crossroads, leading our staff, leading our volunteers. I want you to consider prayerfully, maybe going next year and launching that new campus of Abundant Life. In the last seven years, we have launched three churches. By the end of next year, we will have launched four campuses. See, that's the great commission, that's the vision. Now, I know I've talked about this online campus, guys. You don't know what it is still, I know. It's because nobody knows for sure what it is. I know. This is something brand new. This is a little bit of an experiment. What I know, whether I like it or not, as your pastor, people are gonna be finding their faith online and people are gonna be growing in their faith online and we need to meet people where they are because 
the paradigm of church has changed. And did you know, while this is a building, a house of worship, the real house of worship is not the building, it's not stained glass and steeple. I am the house of worship, you are the house of worship, the Spirit of God lives right here. Which means your living room can become a church house. The vision is not pajama church, just sit alone in your home and watch church. No, what if you could be connected in community, relationally, deeply with other believers in your area, living out the mission and vision and you happen to worship on Sundays from your home. Why not? And that's why I'm so excited to introduce to you somebody brand new to Abundant Life that's gonna be our online campus, Pastor Kyle and Sarah Worsham, coming up from Texas, be a part of our vision, our mission. Yeah, we are so, so thankful to be a part of what you guys are doing here in Kansas City and Minnesota and in Nashville and Tennessee, and maybe even across the world right now. There are people watching us that are part of our church, just like us sitting in this room. You see, it's kind of weird. We're in this time where the mission has never changed, but the method's changing very drastically and rapidly. So I have a question for you. If you're watching online, would you, would you show me, if you own an iPhone, would you just kind of raise it up maybe online if you have one, or maybe like one of the other ones, like Google phones and stuff? It's like majority of us owns one of these things. This is actually where we quote unquote, live our daily lives. And so what if we took the place that we live and play where theologies are being pushed forward and we actually made this like a church building. We push forward theology. That's the only one true theology of Jesus Christ and him uh, living, dying and raising again to give us life. And what if we actually started making disciples who didn't, it didn't matter where you got the sermon on Sundays, it mattered who you did life with the rest of the week. And we actually saw disciples who made disciples who made disciples across the whole world. And if you're interested in that or being a part of Kansas City, the Crossroads campus, Chad and I are gonna be out here in the front near the story room and we would love to tell you more. But thank you for inviting me and Sarah to be a part of what you guys are already doing. Exciting days, church. Difficult days, yes. Difficult times we live. But I'm convinced there could be no greater time to be alive, no more exciting time to be alive. This is the greatest moment ever, I'm convinced, in the history of the American church, the greatest moment ever. You know, social scientists tell us, well, the church is gonna get smaller. I would suggest it might get smaller but it's gonna be stronger. That was early Christianity because they had the power, the power of God against all odds. And I'm convinced by retracing these ancient paths, the ancient future of the church is very, very good. Listen, it's a sin, sin that brings death and captivity, but it's the gospel that brings life and liberty. Today, Jesus offers life and liberty to all who come to him. I wanna invite you to stand right now as we commit the future to him. Over at Independence Blue Springs, all of you watching online right now, maybe from your living room, would you stand with me? And I just wanna do this together as a church family. I wanna raise my hands to the heavens out of humility. You know what this says? Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, we can't do it without you. Let's pray to the God of heaven for a move of God Revival, awakening, indescribable, undeniable. Jesus, we lift our hands to you for you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords and we will bow to none other. There is but one God and one hope of our salvation. His name is Jesus and you have given us a mission that has never ever changed in a world where it seems like nothing is the same. It is still the power of the gospel and we accept the mantle and the torch of the gospel light you've given us to our generation. And we refuse to back up. Lord, we refuse to give up. We accept this moment in time you placed us. And in those early days of Christianity against all odds, the church thrived. 
Upon this rock, Jesus, you said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. God, thank you, we have that promise. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Lord, together right now, we surrender all that we have for all that you are. Willing to risk all that is for all that could be. And we pray right now for a Holy Spirit, heaven-sent move of God on our city, on our communities, on our nation, our generation. Indescribable but undeniable. We pray for the thousands and thousands and ten thousands and ten thousands and thousands and thousands in the next weeks, months, and years ahead that are far from you right now, that are gonna come to know you personally as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you give us thousands in Jesus' name. Build thy kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it in the powerful, powerful name of our resurrected Savior, the Son of God. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Church, I love you a bunch. Thank you. Love you so deeply. Listen, some of you need to today come this way as others are going that way. You wanna know what it means to know Jesus? Not sure what that means to be a Christian. There are people here that are gonna answer your questions for you, gonna pray with you. We're here to minister to you. As our response team comes right now, I want you to come this way if that's you. Have a blessed Sunday, church. God bless you. God go with you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.